The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. But he, I the only thing, only those tapes I had, and I've still got some, were the country and western ones, and so I'd play them sort of nonstop, and there was no radio that would. So finally, we're on the way home, and my son said. Uh, Dad, you know, is there any, you know, music or anything on the radio? Uh, he says, you know, at, uh, I said, well, let's see if we can find a station. So I turned around and I turned on that station. And Matt says, well, you know, I've listened to country and western. He says, if I have to hear another train song, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> and... So I turned around and there I turned on the dial and there was, it was Johnny Cash, the very first line of the very first song. I hear that train a coming, it's a coming around the bend. I almost drove off the road laughing. <laughs> I love it. Matthew and I, we laughed and, and as soon as we got into Campbell River, we went into the gas station store and then, you know, he picked out some, you know, ACDC or some heavy metal and we wound the, wound the windows down and turned cranked it up when we listened to heavy metal all the way home. <laughs> you know, stuff. that's life, you know. Yeah. Life is full of funny little things that happen. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us this time around, wherever you happen to be. And uh, we are going to take you out to uh, one of my favorite parts of the planet. We're going to go to Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, specifically to the Duncan area. We are... Uh, Grateful to have Ian Forbes on the show today. Now, Ian has been in the fly fishing scene a long, long time. Um, avid fly fisher, writer, artist, photographer. Uh, been fishing the rivers of British Columbia for over 50 years. And from what I'm told, uh, his first uh, fishing article... 1958. So we got a lot of ground, a lot of water we can cover on this. Retired from the Ministry of Forests. Uh, Mr. Forbes, thanks so much for coming on the show, Ian. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Why don't we jump into your story? I know, let's take it back to your roots. Like, when did you first discover fly fishing and kind of your love for it? Um, I used to live as a young teenager, we, we moved up to the British properties 
in in uh, Vancouver, West Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I used to hike down into the the Capilano Canyon and try and catch the trout. Well, I wound up catching my first steelhead there. And there was a little, there was a, a series of ponds, and they were still there on the golf course, the Capilano Golf Course. And I would sneak onto the ponds to catch little cutthroat trout. I've got diaries, my own personal diaries with drawings and sketches, and I've kept diaries for well over 50 years. Hmm. Um, but my early diaries were about catching these little trout on the uh, golf course, and I got kicked off the golf course so many times. It was finally the guy, that, the greenskeeper, he said, well, just go into the bushes when you see golfers around. <laughs> And my little my little sister, who was uh, I was a small you know young teenager at the time, but my little sister she was five, and I say, what do you want for breakfast this morning, Leslie? And she would say, catch me a croat, catch me a croat, Ian. So I'd go across and catch two or three of these little cutthroat and bring them home for for a meal. And it. it was from there that I started studying the the trout, where they held the flies that they liked. Um, and I used to sneak from there. We used from the house cause it wasn't, oh, it was a bit of a hike, but I could climb down into the, the, uh, I'd sneak into the pass through the gate or not the gate through the fence that, uh, was for the, you know, the swinging bridge over the Capilano river. Yeah. So I'd go across and, uh, sneak down and fish the, the Capilano from that side. Um, and I learned a lot about, you know, the Brothers Creek that floated down into the, it flowed down into the, into the um, Capilano. And that was my start of fly tying and fly fishing because I'd read all the fishing magazines. In those days, there was the only, there was BC, out, or not BC Outdoors, there was uh, Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, and Sports Afield. Yeah, yeah. So I, I read those, I've got old, old copies of those, you know, today I've kept all these magazines and, hmm. and, uh, then I was approached. Actually, I met, uh, um, some people when I came to the move to the Island, uh, I met the guys that, uh, were with BC outdoors and they got me writing. And when I was a guide at uh, painter's lodge in, uh, in, uh, Campbell River for the summer. Um, I had this, this uh, you know, I met a pretty lady, and but uh, it was all about, and Roderick Haig Brown, I met him, hmm. and he showed me, uh, I was fishing the river, I just fished with my big Silex River, and I just got, you know, Silex real rod and reel, and i just gone through the river, this one section on the upper island, and I hadn't caught anything, and I saw this man coming down to the river and he was smoking a pipe. And so I went over and he, I said, are you Roderick K. Brown? He said, yes. I said, well, would you, <laughs> you go ahead and, and can you fish out in front of me? And just, and he wound up catching a small summer steelhead and about four nice cutthroat wow. in the, in the area that I had already fished with a gear rod, you know, with spoons and spinners. <laughs> and so he took time to show me where the fish held and behind that rock, you know, you don't, you know, and where to cast. 
So it was a real wonderful learning experience for me. Hmm. So uh, that was that was you know that that was all part of my life and my upbringing, and that's where I was tying flies for fishermen and selling them by one, by the age of nine. Wow. Huh. So, uh, and my father had an insurance business um, in Vancouver, and uh, he had a client, Poldy Bentley, who uh, was some big, I guess he owned some big logging company or whatever. So I, but I gave him some of my flies. He's, he's all these, he, so he took me over onto the Nitnat River, and we fished for, you know, summer steelhead, which I didn't know anything about at the time. So I've had uh, a really broad, I've been able to keep a diary and watch the rivers change over time. That's that's incredible. I mean, you're naming some names and I know I want to dig into that. But so that that was kind of where I wanted to go next. So uh, you, you strike me as somebody that's somewhat self-taught, but, uh, you know, like the likes of Roderick Haig Brown, you probably well, you have... learn something from. I've always had an open mind, yeah. And the uh, you learn something from everybody, yeah. Agreed, agreed, 100%. But if you had to name some names, like think of people that you've learned from, whether it's a guide, whether it's you know somebody that kind of took you under their wing, as I'm sure you've done for many others. Um, well, you know, I it's that's hard to say. Um, you know, there was a number of, you know, old anglers that, you know, well, I joined the, the Kingfisher Rod and Gun Club. And uh, there was, you know, and and the, uh, the two skiers uh, club, we would meet in downtown Vancouver. And uh, they, they, there was, you know, there was one guy who was, uh, he imported um, cane, you know, uh, fishing rods. Yeah. And so it's through him that I met a lot of the uh, Kingfisher Rod and Gun Club. Um, and, and there was a small group of them. And uh, so when they traveled around, you know, the old in those old days, it was sort of understood that if you caught a steelhead, then it would die. If you caught a fish, you brought it to shore. There was no such thing as catch and release. Right. And in those days, you had a, you, we, they made us a, they had a 40 steelhead limit. Wow. Um, and you, you were took, we, we had pride in killing our steelhead limit. Hmm. Well, you know, and they were, they were all wild fish. There was no, there was no hatchery fish in those days. Right. So I, 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 I thought like, wow, you know. And it was the Kingfisher Club that all of a sudden started to realize that they were catching the same steelhead. So um, they would let some of the biologists know, and some of the biologists wouldn't believe them until the guy said, well, look, if we tag them, and then the guys will know, mm-hmm. guys will make personal tags. So it, it was that sort of a thing that opened my mind about the numbers of fish, uh, the times, 
when when they when they like when when I was in Squamish, so the Squamish just got a really late um, spring run. But then when I came to the island uh, and stayed up, I was logging at Mahatta River. That that those summer seal come in in May, late May and June. And other rivers, it would be April. Right. Uh, so you get, and it's just through all those experiences that, um, uh, the, and of course that through that and my, then I met Dave Stewart. Okay. Yeah, when yeah. I, you know, and, and Dave Stewart was really instrumental in helping me write. Yeah. I met Dave. He said, I, he said I'd like you to write for the, um, the magazine, you yeah. know, you, you've got all these stories. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I've never really thought about. So he got me into kind of get got me into writing. Yeah. He, you know, it was funny. He, you know how some people are better speakers than they are writers and some people write better than they speak. <laughs> and I don't mean to slam in any way, but Dave came and gave a presentation to our fly club one day and he had some great stories, but they were written down and you could tell he wasn't doing a lot of speaking at that point, but just an inspirational guy for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You strike and, me and as somebody that would be pretty comfortable doing either situation, whether it's talking in front of a crowd or, or, or just putting uh, you know, pen to paper. Well, it, at, at that time I, I was a pretty good angler, you know, and, uh, but Dave had been to a lot of places and he was up on the, on the Thompson river. And, uh, so I took him out in my boat and, and we fished the tops. So I've still got the old pictures of Dave and me, you know, camped on the, on the Thompson river and, uh, my old aluminum boat. And we were, we were going places in my boat that we never should have gone. I mean, it was like, uh, dangerous, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and yet that's been my whole life. I've gone, you know, <laughs> as a hunter, um, I would have a plane just fly me into some Northern Lake, leave me there for a couple of weeks. And then I would, uh, you know, come back and I thought, well, you know, if I'd ever hurt myself or, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, and I've got the pictures. Well, and you know, what's funny is the younger we are, the, the less we think about that. Like the older I get, the more I think about that stuff. You know, you can just twist your rock or twist your rock, twist your ankle. You know, you, you step off a rock wrong. Um, yep. next thing you're stuck there for a while, but yeah, that's crazy. Hey, listen, I want to dig into some of these stories. I know you're sitting on a bunch, but first I, I want to get to know you kind of your day to day. You ready for a few questions that, uh, have a little to do with fishing, but not everything. Are, are you a okay. music, are you a music guy at all? So if you're, you know, let's say you're, uh, well, you know, actually I love music Yeah. and I used to sing for a long, long, long time ago. I used to sing with a group. Huh. So I've got a not a bad voice. I do have, you know, good hearing. On, but as far as I tried playing uh, guitars a few times and yeah. I learned a few chords and then I tried a banjo <laughs> and I realized, Ian, you're never going to make it as a, <laughs> you know, but music, if, musician, but I, I still love it. You know, if you're, of course, all my, if you're driving your favorite spot, let's say you're chasing steelhead or, or wherever you're going, let's say you're going to the couch and what's playing in the truck on the way there. What I'm curious of. Uh, well, it used to be Willie Nelson, uh, Waylon Jennings, uh, any of those old 
country and western songs. Yeah, love it. Well, I'll, I'll, let me tell you I'll, a, a funny story. Okay. My son, my daughter likes country and western, but my son, he's into more like heavy metal. Yeah. And I took him when he was about 14, I took him on a fishing trip. We went and stayed at Telegraph Cove, and we went out in my boat and fished for salmon and, and uh, um, well, well, we rock cod and, and ling cod and all sorts, and we, did, we had a couple of neat experiences. But he, I, the only thing, only those tapes I had, and I've still got some, were the country and western ones and so i'd play them sort of non-stop and there was no radio that would so finally we're on the way home and my son said uh dad are you know is there any you know music or anything on the radio uh he says you know what uh i said well let's see if we can find a station so i turned around and i turned on the station and Matt says, well, you know, I've listened to country and western. He says, if I have to hear another train song, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> and so I turned around and there I turned on the dial and there was, it was Johnny Cash, the very first line of the very first song. I hear that train a coming. It's a coming around the bend. I almost drove off the road laughing. <laughs> I love it. Matthew and I, we laughed, and, and as soon as we got into Campbell River, we went into the gas station store, and then, uh, you know, he picked out some, you know, ACDC or some heavy metal, and we wound the, wound the windows down and turned crank it up, and we listened to heavy metal all the way home. <laughs> you know, stuff. that's life, you know. Yeah. Life was full of funny little things that happened. Okay, so let's say you're hitting this river, and let's say you're chasing steelhead. Uh, you probably got ACDC going. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe Johnny, um, one go-to fly pattern that you can't live without. So what's a go-to steelhead pattern for you, Ian? I only need one, my own one. I designed it and it works. Um, it's called an Omicus Marauder. Oh yeah. Yeah. And basically what it is, is sort of like a woolly bugger. It's got black marabou tail. Uh, it's got a burgundy, dub burgundy body with a hackle, you know, like a, and um, I got a little bit of um, flashaboo, purple flashaboo, not much, just a little bit in the tail. But when it's in the water and because it's, you know, that, that uh, woolly bugger shape, and sh- it just kind of, it does, you do catch that little glint, not too much. Then I've got eyes on the head and I vary them uh, from lead eyes to plastic eyes depending on the on the water that I'm fishing Hmm. and I paint the eyes uh, sort of a really almost like a yellowy green or greeny yellow yeah and I put a purple spot in the eyes and I guarantee you, I can catch fish. I've caught, I've caught um, Asian fish on it. I've caught. I don't need any other fly, really. That sounds like I a mean, vampire leech on steroids. <laughs> you know, it, 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 if it goes through the water, 
It looks like something alive. And um, when I was fishing canyon water up in the Chimenas, uh, it gets a really late, the Chimenas River gets a really, really late um, winter spring run of steelhead. And they go up, they shoot up, and then they hang in the canyon pools. And I could climb up the cliffs and down the cliffs and look into the pools, and there'd be, there'd be um, 100 steelhead in one of these pools. Wow. And and they were big ones. They were there was a couple there that um I know I've caught some high teens, uh and a couple there that looked like salmon, but they were steelhead. Mm-hmm. Like so they looked like Chinook salmon. But I would take uh, I had a friend with me and we were going in and he says, Well what fly do I use? And they says, It doesn't matter. And I bit a mint in half and I tossed the mint in and it fluttered down and the big steel had grabbed it, held it for three seconds, tossed, spit it out. It drifted down and another steel had grabbed it. And a third steel had grabbed it and spit it out and held it for about three seconds. Wow. And then I took a flat stone, put it in the candy wrapper and threw it in. And the, the steel head did the same thing. And I said, now you tell me what's, what fly to use. And my friend looked, I said, steelhead don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They're literally, um, if it looks like something alive, they don't have hands, they will grab it. But it has to be floating at their depth. Not way up at the top sometimes. And some, you know, if they're in a deep pool, as long as it's drifting by, just a tiny bit above their eye level, hmm. then the steelhead w- will grab it. Yeah. Basil. And, and I mean, the, you know, the intruder patterns that the guys use today is a good example. There's something about that black and purple. Though. When you said a little purple oh. in the tail, I don't know what it is. Yep. It, I mean, uh, if, if you send me an address and a, and, and I'll, I'll mail you a couple, you know, yeah, and I like I like the fact you kind of got some chartreuse in there on the eyes, that kind of yellowy green. Yep. That that would really yeah. Stand well, out. that just stands out like it glows. It almost like I say it does. It looks like something alive. That's like your after dinner mint. <laughs> yep. You know it, it's irresistible for fish, yeah. and uh, I've got lots of other steelhead patterns, including the old classic English patterns and and stuff. Um, I use them uh, once in a while, just um, just for fun. Just hey, I'm going to see if I can catch one on a Jock Scott or a, you know, sure, uh, one one. And you know, there's some few. I mean, the, some of the flies should. I've said many times, some flies should never be used um, fishing. They should be put in a in a a, a picture frame. Framed. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. You know, I've got a picture like right now. I got actually when we were talking about the Shamanis, it's a Shamanis pool. And I got a picture, a painting I did. And then underneath it, I got one, two, three, four, five, five of the classic low water uh, steelhead on, on turned up uh, eyes. And I don't like turned up eyes. Hmm. I like, do not like. Like the skunk or like, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I don't like, I, and I learned that a long, long time ago. I had some beautiful English, uh, you know, trout hooks, you know, were turned up eyes. They lost more fish than they landed. Hmm. wonder why that is. It just must be the angle well, of the gap. Well, just the way you're pulling on it. Yeah, yeah. Because most of the guys tie it to the eye. Now, if you tied it to the shank, and that's why a lot of the classic English patterns have got a long fairly sparse um you know where, where where the tie down is yeah yeah and because the guys would lash their leaders because they were using those old gut leaders they would lash them right onto the uh, the body itself yeah yeah like almost like snelled on there yeah and and that that that's i mean again I, maybe it's just me but i um i test things out I test things when fishing is really, really good or really, really poor are the two times when I experiment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. So ex- explain that. So when it's really, really good, is it just too easy? And you're like, I want to well, see yeah, this Well, yeah, I've works. caught it. No, I, once, you, once you've caught two or three fish in a certain way, yeah, I find, I mean, even steelheading, if I've caught two or three steelhead, I don't need to catch another one. Right. I've had I've had a good day. Yeah. But I'm curious to know if something will work a little better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I've got again I've got a thousand stories of when I thought well well the old flies are working and then you shift to something else and it it's just incredible every single cast gets a fish. Yeah. So you, uh, you you kind of store that in your memory bank. Um, yeah, it's a learning experience, right? Because you yep. know it's on. So that yeah, I totally agree with you. I know exactly. We, we've actually that's come up on the show quite a bit. I'm I'm curious, Ian, where you go to talk fishing. So you know, is there a coffee shop locally? A bro- I, I, brew pub. I, I've got a very simple. Um, uh, lifestyle and it's, it's you know i go down to the a and w in the morning and there's a couple guys there that well one i my best buddy he's a biker yep. you know we ride we ride motorbikes i probably ride motorbikes now more than i do even fishing you know oh. it uh but there's a number of the guys will come in and we'll talk fishing and 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 they'll ask me um or some of the guys even through facebook that i haven't met but are really nice and, and young guys that uh, like Brennan Baker, who I guided when he was a kid, hmm. and now and then he became a you know a guide and he's and just a super nice guy. Yeah. Um. You know, and and he's taken it to another level. Yeah. So it, it's nice to see that. You know. Is that a big part of it for you, kind of passing on the knowledge, seeing seeing it the is. younger guys and it gals? It totally come up? is. It my whole life is that. Yeah. I would rather pass on my information mm-hmm. than do it myself. I mean, that's why a lot of guides, like especially a guy like uh, Brennan Baker, he's doing the same thing that I did 50 years ago. He guides, and he loves his guiding, yeah. and he's a good guide, and he takes his, his, his clients out. He would rather see his clients catch fish than catch fish himself. Yeah. Uh, I, I did the same thing when I was down in Montana and I, with a man and his son, they came out from Pennsylvania and I said, look, and he rented a boat. I said, look, 
I'll do the guiding. He said, oh, no, 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 you can. I said, no, I will row the boat. If I see your son or yourself doing something wrong or that you worry or something where you could do it better, then I'll tell you and maybe I'll show you. Yeah. But, uh, and that's just me. Well, you know, it's interesting because the more people I talk to in the fly fishing space, it's a common theme, I think. And I, I think it's a progression through our kind of fly fishing, you know, journey. Like you start out just wanting to catch fish, get into fish. Then you really start, once you understand it, then you like to see it through other people's eyes. Does that, does that make sense? Oh yes, totally. Yeah. We do. We all progress. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, these kingfishers, they, I mean, they were, you know, they were a bunch, (laughs) some of them were, you know, they'd sneak out earlier than the other guys so they could get to the pool first and catch the most steelhead or the steelhead. And they they were a bunch of, you know, or they'd sneak out where the, anyway, it could go on and on. (laughs) But eventually they started to, you know, they, they, they wanted to, to catch fish, see things, share things, um, uh, guys like uh, Bruce Gearhart, who's dead and gone for a long, long time. Um, what I try and do now myself is I've got the knowledge of the damages that we've done to many of our rivers um, through logging, through uh, yeah. commercial fish farms, through uh, – it's not just all – it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's cu- cumulative, right? And um, – and then, then, then nature somehow, once in a while, nature takes over and changes the 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 um, off the offshore, the the chemical you know makeup of the ocean, and more fish survive for some God knows what reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were. I was talking about that with your good buddy Matt, and we're like, you know, he reminded me that uh, I think it was Matt that did this, but he said, yeah. you know, basically these fish have survived two ice ages. I mean, that's, they, they've yeah. got some strong DNA, as long as we don't screw it up too fast, right? It, uh, and a few, there's a few, uh, where do I start? There's a few examples, and this is what, uh, what I learned about from Haig Brown. Haig Brown would tell stories, and he was a good storyteller. He was instructional, Many, many times, but he was, he was a logger in the early days. He did, you know, he traveled and he fished all these streams and rivers and he started to see patterns forming. Why this area fishes better at this time of year, what this does. And so he started to, you know, pay attention. Um, he didn't keep, keep diaries of like I do, but he wrote books and stories about it and he gave talks. And there's a lot of that's the same thing with a lot of these kingfisher clubs. The guys started to release fish. They started to tag fish. Um, I had my own program uh, when I was up in Mahatta River, and I would, and and I, when the Queen Charlotte Islands, and you know, Christmas time, I just I was catching literally hundreds, uh, hundreds of of, of steelhead, wow. and uh, you know, twenty or thirty in a day. And what I would I do imagine. is, I, is so. I would take a, I had a little knife that I hung on the little, you know, and I'd nip off, I'd whip off, cut off the adipose fin. And if I caught the same fish a second time, the same steelhead, um, 
I would take my scissors and just cut part of the um, the tail off, just to lower one of the little uh, ventral fins. And I just cut off, you know, half part of the fin. So if I could spot the, 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 you know, healed up, well, you're not allowed. I mean, if you were to do that today, you'd get shit from every direction you can imagine. Oh, yeah. I was I was getting a little nervous when you were going there. But I but, think, but look at the lesson it taught. What, what did it teach you? You know, I learned, what you did is I learned that the numbers of fish that we thought were there were not. We were catching the same fish. And we told, you know, we told different uh, uh, writers and different people. And so uh, the progression is the same when the people, uh, you know, caught um, orcas for zoos and whales, you know, and kept them in zoos. And, and you know, p- putting wild animals in zoos is wrong by today's standards. But 30 years ago, they weren't really bad because they learn something about the animal itself. And you, you know, my, at one time killer whales were, were killers. You know, I, you know they, they eat people, they'll eat swimmers. So, well, no, they don't. Right, you know? yeah. Uh, and then we've learned that there's the, the uh, northern killer whale or the one that, the offshore one and the local killer whale and they have babies and, you know, um, They'll bring their babies over to the, uh, you know, it's an, I mean, I've seen killer whales attack a whale, a whale whale. Really? And tear it apart. Oh. Tear it apart. And eat it. Yeah. So, you know, they are predators and they do eat meat. Yeah. But it's all these little mini stories and mini things that, uh, you know, I learned yeah. I kept two steelhead like on a tether in the Mahatta River back in 1962. I was in the logging camp and I'd caught these fish several times, and so I thought, "Gee, there's 15 pounder," and I caught it. I caught it in June as a summer run, and I put a tether through its lower jaw, uh, heavy, you know, and then I tied it to a log under, you know. And left it. And then I wound up catching a 10-pound, you know, female. And um, then I let after two weeks, I let him go. And I caught this male uh, four more times. So I caught it five times in total. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, and, and well, I mean, the river is actually closed now at the times when I was, you know, because it's closed. And uh, like a lot of the other summer run rivers. Yeah. They're closed if there if there's a noted that there's a summer steelhead in that river, except for the stamp. Right. Um, the rivers are actually closed. I think the Heber was closed, and then I saw the destruction of the the um, the Gold River uh, because they logged it and logged it and logged it and turned into acidic. It was at one time it it had once well it had the biggest steelhead in the you know yeah. Um, well, on the island or in BC, so caught you know steelhead over my friend you know Bruce Gerhardt. He got one. He got a thirty-pound steelhead. Wow, that's crazy. And George Super, my friend George, was with him at the time, and and he killed it, and he felt bad about it later. But I said, Bruce, it doesn't matter because the logging companies. I've got 
pictures to back up ever and and chemical i've done chemical tests you know i've got the the test the test of the and under underground footage where i and the shaman is the same i've got underground footage you know video of what the river looks like and and the you know i've taken the acidic tests and most of yeah. them most of our, our a lot of our rivers are are very acidic today. Well, and that's that's not ideal for nitro. It's not ideal for you know creating big fish. Let's face it. Well, not only that, but what happens? You see, there's no. Um, I mean, steelhead traditionally stay a year or two. Yeah. In the river. Well, they got to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's no nutrients on the rocks. Yeah. You you can take uh, like the Kennedy River. Beautiful river. There's 30 miles of, of um, the Kennedy River, and if you go underwater and turn and look at those logs, oh, the rocks. There's no uh, view, and the gold the same. The shamanus the same. I've got underwater footage. I've got you know the rocks are beautiful, nice, smooth, round, round, and not a goddamn um, bug on the bottom. Yeah. Or you can turn the rocks and there's no stoneflies, no caddisflies, yeah. no mayflies, no nothing. Yeah. And you maybe see one or two small little, uh, either either steelhead par or something like that. Hmm. Whereas if you go, let's say, the mouth of the Eve, actually it's going to be good fishing in the next little while. You know. Do we want to? Do we want to? Do we want to edit that? <laughs> I can edit. No, 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 no. Everybody knows about the mouth of the Eve. Okay. Everybody knows about it. And all the guys, you know, that when the pinks start coming in and in big numbers. Oh, is it a pink know. year this year? What's that? It's a pink year this year, is it? Yes. Mm, yeah, yeah. In the you know North North Island, okay. all those rivers that normally would have pinks, they will have pink salmon. But if you turn, if you go at the mouth of the, I mean the 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 Eve River is absolutely. It's got two miles of estuary, and estuary is where all the food is. That's where, you know, that's why the Fraser was, was so good because that's where all the nutrients from the interior come down yeah. and they mix with the salt water and, and, you know, all the fish, well, you turn, you see, look, I mean, I've got, like I say, I've got underwater video of the Eve, mouth of the Eve and, and it's just murky because you got the salt water mixing with the fresh water and you got salmon eggs laying on the bottom and, you, and the whole thing is alive with yeah. little salmon fry swimming around and coming up to your feet you know that's cool yeah yeah and you know it'd be the same thing on the couch and um couch and where they 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 um couch and survives um because they have um they dump well first of all there's the big lake that filters a lot of things out and then they dump, they have the, uh, the town goes into their sewer, big, um, well, they got plastic tarps there and they hold it right. until it's sort of the crap, you know, from the see, dissolves and whatever. And then, and then they got a pipe and it pipes it into this one pool. And if you go down there at the right height in the spring and you anchor the, my raft over top of that pipe, you can see all this brown sludge coming out of the pipe. Yeah. And right with their noses stuck, right, will be four or five or six rainbows. Hmm. Got their noses stuffed right in it. Hmm. 
and nearby there'll be a, maybe a big brown trout cruising around looking for salmon fry to eat, feed on. But it, that, all that nutrients goes into the river and filters down. And for the first few pools below that pipe, the rainbows are all dark. They're all a darker color. I think their flesh is a little softer too. They don't feel so. And then eventually it all sort of dissipates and the, and you know, right. But it's still a good river. Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're chatting today with Ian Forbes out of Duncan, BC. Ian's been writing for a lot of years, uh, since 1958, uh, for magazines, um, published in all types of magazines, you name it, uh, heavily in BC outdoors. He used to do a, a, it was a weekly article in the province for a lot of years too, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. I used to read that all the time. Well, isn't it crazy how, how much things have changed? And actually something I want to talk to you about is, is your, your artwork. Cause I know that's near and dear to your heart. So how long have you been painting and how did, is, is that kind of part and parcel of your whole love of the outdoors or where, where did that start uh, out? Yeah, it, it's, I'm trying, I mean, I've been painting all my whole life. Um, I'm a good artist. You know, I am good. Uh, I'm not world famous good, but I'm, you know, good. So I like watercolors is what I like. That's your medium? Yeah. Yeah. Watercolors is what I, and, uh, um, and and I'm colorblind, not totally colorblind, but I am a bit colorblind. And, and yet I know how colors are made. You know, so you get the you got the three primaries, and then you cross them. You get purple, which is in between blue and red. And is it a you know more red than you know? So mauve is more you know with the more blue and the and so I understand that. I know how the colors are mixed. Mm-hmm. So what I try and do is I I mix my colors, uh, and if you mix them too much, you you wind up with mud. You know, kind of a brownie. It doesn't yeah. um, looks like that stuff coming out of that pipe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The 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 most. I've got a, a friend. Uh, you know, she painted a lot of fishing. Uh, Diane Michelin. Um, she mm-hmm. lives in uh, the Qualicum area, you know, and um, and the news actually, and, and she does beautiful work. I mean, absolutely. She works on small. Most of her stuff is small, but but she does absolutely gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know, portraits and everything. Uh, and and the fishing was just, but but she, you know, she says what you know. It's the same. You put a um, rather than mixing and mixing two colors and mixing mixing mixing, so it wind up turning like mud. You will put down a layer of yellow. And let it dry. You get a blow air dryer blower, blow it and turn it till it's dry. And then you put over top of that, you could put blue. And, and it glows. It, it glows. I mean, I did a a painting of a, of a lady that, uh, I knew what I said. I'm just going to put, use purple as, um, a very light purple as um um shadows okay and it worked it really really yeah. worked then i had it at an art show and it was sold right away huh. is that something you do a lot of uh art shows or? well i i used to do a lot of let's put it that way yeah um 
A lot of artists on the island. What I do mo- most island. of my time now is I'm, I ride a motorbike. I mean, I, I've got a whole bunch of bikes out in my carport, and, and I ride all over the, well, I ride over all over the island. I was up, you know, I got a good riding friend, and so we... What kind of bike? The, what kind of bikes do you ride? Uh, well, I've got a, 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 the one I like the best, actually, it's a little, it's a 300, but it punches higher more than it, like, you know, it's... Uh, um, Kawasaki uh, Versys. Okay. With a 300. Huh. That'll, that'll and get you where do, you need to go. Hmm? <laughs> I said, that'll get you where you need to well, go. Well, it's got good, I just actually replaced, I got uh, what took the street tires off, and I've got good um, uh, dirt tires on it. Right. But um, if I crank it, I mean, I'm, I go up island, the top end of the island, it, I've had up to 100 miles an hour. Huh. 150, 160 kilometers. You fascinate oh, me. You seem you seem like you got you got a lot of interests, a lot of hobbies, and you you kind of make them all work. Yep, hmm. I've still got you know, and there's kind of gonna gotta come die day soon that I'm gonna start giving away or selling my fishing tackle, and my daughter tells me, "Dad, I you I I don't when you die, I don't know what the hell the, all those things are worth. I got a fabulous library. I mean, really, a wonderful yeah. library of books that." Uh, but nobody's people go to the you know in the bookstore and they go to the you know library and but how, I've got how some influential art. how influential was Roderick Haig Brown's writings to you? How was it? Like how influential was Roderick Haig Brown's uh, writings to you? Very much so. Hmm. Very much so because one thing um, Roderick tried to do was talk about the unusual. Something that you didn't expect. And I have had that a couple of experiences like that. One was when I thought I, you know, was fishing the Cowichan and I thought there was two steelhead in the pool. You know, and so there was a bright, it looked like a bright one and, and a darker one, a bigger, bigger, darker one. So I started fishing for it, and I hooked a bright one. So I'm playing it, and then when I bring it to shore, it's about a five-pound brown trout. <laughs> and as I'm bringing it, the steelhead followed it everywhere it went. And when, when I released the brown trout, I've got pictures. I've got a picture of it. When I released it, the brown trout and the steelhead swam away like buddies. <laughs> Now that that's the sort of story that Roger K. Brown would tell, right? Yeah. And I had another experience like that on the um, uh, la, 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 up in the north end of the island, where there were the um, there was a mixture of the sockeye were coming in, um, but there was steelhead and uh, a steelhead and a sockeye buddied up. And they went up to the rapids, right, you know, together and jumped these little mini rapids. And I'm out there watching it. And when they finally got up, they, they went out, the, you know, the together, the Marble River, I'm talking about. Right. The, the two of them uh, came to the top, went to the edge of this falls, and then swam on up to the lake together. Huh. Now... Salmon and 
you know, steelhead are not buddies. They don't mate. They, they, you know, yeah. they haven't got anything in common other than they look sort of similar to people who don't know a fish. Yeah, crazy. But so that's the sort of a thing. Um, well, I mean, I'll take you to I'll take you to Thailand where they take uh, you know tigers. They eat pigs, but in the zoo they got these tigers, and they have this great big hen, you know, great big sow pig, and they'll have a little tiger cublet, um, and then a piglet and a tiger cub. And a piglet and a tiger cub and the and the big you know sows laying there. Huh. So they you know and then when the when the you know the tigers grow up, you know and they have them in the zoos and you know like showing up. Show, they they have no problem being in there with with pigs. Yeah, well, it's what they're piglets used to, are, right? Yeah. So it's. I, I mean, I've got a, 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 a bore you all night with, with stories that are very, very similar. Yeah. yeah. You know, we had hunting dogs at, uh, uh, and um, dad brought home a um, hen mallard and the, we had the female, all these little puppies and the, the female mallard was with Broody, the mother, you know, Velvet, she just had the puppies and she'd feed the pups and that was it. But the... And Mallard was she'd come out and she'd put all the little puppies in a in a circle <laughs> with their noses in together and then climb up and put her wings over top. That's cool. You know, so he, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I got like I say, I've got a lot of lot of funny stories that. Uh, um, when we dig into your past, what is if you had to look back in on your career? What's the best job you've had? Like, what's the one that really went, man? This is this is what I was born to do. Well, that's when I became a log scaler with the government. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I I realized early on when I went logging, I was going to be a biologist, and I worked in like, and then I realized after working two summers with them, we went all through the Okanagan, all through the Kootenays and the Okanagan, and you know, all those different streams in the Kootenays, beautiful trout. And what we were basically doing is lake survey. And, and, uh, um, so, but I realized the guy that I was with, although he was a biologist, he, um, um, he didn't, he wasn't really interested in the fish. It was just a job. Yeah. And I saw that with a lot of the, um, and and I I don't want to blame them, but I think at one time when they were young, when they became biologists, they had an interest in the fish, but the government didn't. If I have a, a bitch today about anything, it's Department of Fisheries and Oceans. I have a major bitch with them yeah. in Ottawa. Okay. Not the locals, the local guys, you know, the, the, but the I have a major problem with them because they're a bunch of people sitting in an office. Hmm. I mean, there's no way that they should ever brought in um, those commercial fish farms. Yeah, that, that happened. Well, money talks, doesn't it? Yes. You know what you I know, always on... I always think of Rafe Mayer back in the day. Remember how opposed he was at the time. 
Yeah. Uh, to it, and it was somebody that you know loved the sport fishery, loved the fly fishing, but understood the resource. And he gave resource. up fishing. Really? He gave yes. Huh. Did you yeah. know him? Yep. Like I told biologists about my tests with the adipose fins, you know, and the numbers of fish that I said, look, there's 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 not as many fish as as you know. You look at a pool. Yeah. There's 200 sealhead in there. And I I said, look. But that's it. That's the whole run. Right. You know, it's not, you know, and eventually when the, you know, when the rains come and they get ready to spawn, well, the summer steelhead come in, in, in June, May even. They don't spawn until the following March. Right. Or February. So you're counting the same fish, maybe. <laughs> so you're, you're catching the same fish. Yeah. So anyway. Huh. Um, but those are only things that, that, um, because I, well, probably because I, I kept diaries and I kept, I was aware of everything. Yeah. And, uh, like I say, what I wanted to be while well, I was a, was a biologist and I realized there was no money for biologists. So we have a resource extraction province. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's sad to say that, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's traditionally been very true. And I cannot think of one thing, not one that, our fisheries biologists or the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Now, I can think of one thing, not even one uh, positive thing that they've ever done. Not one. Hmm. On the West Coast, the North Coast, or the the, um, the the Americans got steelhead and moved them into the Great Lakes, and they've survived, and they've done really well. Yep. I and I can see a time coming when we're going to have to maybe even um, get the steelhead back from the you know the spawning because they got excess numbers. Right. Now. Yeah. 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 That's like that's think where they came from. Maybe they can help us at some point. Yeah. I get. I get. Yeah. It. So um, back to your career. We know the best job. What's the worst job you've ever had? You're willing to talk about. Is there something you did you really didn't like very much? Well, really, you know, I, I realized earlier on, I went like Mahatta River logging, and uh, I learned a lot about humanity. Um, <laughs> uh, I got myself blown up. Uh, I lost my, a lot of my hearing. Um, what, what do you mean you got yourself blown up? What well, happened? I was a, a scaler, you know, I, I, and I walked into, uh, the company was with, went cheap on everything. And this was before workman's compensation or even those days. And so I'm, I'm going into scale logs, measure the logs that the, the log in those days, the loggers who fell trees got paid on the amount of wood that they cut. Right. And when they were cutting right away, they just, you know, just cut a, a pathway through the, you know, the, through the forest. And then uh, because there was big stumps and big trees, they had blasters coming in afterwards and blew the stumps and they blew half a dozen stumps at a time. Right. But they were supposed to have um, a packer. So when they set the dynamite in all these stumps, the packer was supposed to go out 
one way, and then the the faller or the um, blaster, he would go out the other way, so make sure that, that the fallers didn't come back. And uh, and then they blew the stumps. So one day, you know, yeah, there was a pile of you know powder, you know, stacked up at the end of the road, but I didn't pay attention. I just walked into the this uh, along these trees, and I was just walking along one of the trees, and all of a sudden, boom! And I'm flying through the air. Oh wow! Huh. And I get the back of my neck is all my back was all peppered with, with uh, you know, shrapnel. Luckily, if it, it didn't blow dark, I would have been killed. But uh, and then you know, five more. I landed out beside another stump, and luckily there was it wasn't one of the ones that had dynamite. And five more stumps went up around me. Um. I was mad. Yeah, I guess. I was really mad. I walked all the way, the five miles all the way back to camp, and I just tore a strip off of everybody, you know. And they said, well, you should have known because there was that guy, you know, the dynamite stacked up. I said, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I could bore you with stories, and I was going to be a faller. I thought, well, you know, the good best money was in falling, and I worked falling for about a month and a bit, and I said, if I just keep falling, I'm going to kill myself. Right, yeah. Dangerous work. Because it was dangerous. You yeah. get that reason why they got paid more money is because it was dangerous. Yeah. Well, I'm sure practices have changed a lot. When I look at any, oh, sure. anything back in the day, you, you you rewind 30, 40, 50 years on the job site, it's a no, lot No, we had to carry different. a guy out. Uh, I mean, I they, because I'd gone to university, they made me the um, first aid attendant. Right. So, um, you know, I... When you're a first aid attendant, you're dealing with guy. And I, again, I've got a half a dozen stories of you know, guys that could have been dead, should have been dead, might have been dead. You know, Pete Pacifras, we had to carry him. We had to carry him. There was no such thing as helicopters coming in. Picking. He got crushed. Uh, he was a bucker. And he got crushed. And, and two of us, there was a log had been fallen across a canyon. So it was, you know, 60 feet down into the canyon and a big hemlock, they fell a you know, tree across and we walked across that tree to get to where we were, we were logging. Huh. Wow. And so when, when, you know, Pete got crushed, um, I, you know, he and I, or the, uh, the other father carried him, you know, well, we had a, a stretcher between us and we're walking across a friggin' log in a canyon over top of a canyon and, Fuck, we could have fallen off that. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's. Uh, I've had I've had crazy. some experiences. Yeah, you have for sure. So you know, it, when we first but, decided to do this chat, I you you made me laugh because one of the questions Ian that I ask you on the podcast is, uh, you know, sports. Are you a sports fan? Who do you pull for? And you gave me you gave me three nights. You said. Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, no go. Watching the CFL. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. talk to me about that. What's your passion when it comes to sports? Are you a Lions fan or is it someone else? Uh, I like. Uh, I played football at university. Uh, I quickly learned that I wasn't fast enough, and I wasn't agile enough. But I loved the game. Yeah. And they actually used to call me Duck because I loved to tackle. And I would always pick the wettest, muddiest part of the <laughs> yard, the, fee, the field to tackle guys. And so every, 
put your head down and yeah, yeah, I, 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 I made a point of, of tackling guys in you know in in the messiest part because in those days you know the there was always mud and, and water on the on the on the football field. So yeah, <laughs> I, football is you know I followed hockey a little bit and uh, yeah. but mostly it's football. You know. Yeah, and who's your and, team? Is it is it BC or who you? Yeah, yeah, BC yeah. Lions. Yeah. yeah, I have to ask. And, we got a lot of Rough Rider fans, lots of Saskatchewan fans, a lot of Edmonton. Oh, fans, you know, and of... I've got friends. You know. On uh, on a fishing forum I'm part of, the you know Fly BC yeah. guys, and uh, and I've been friends with a bunch of them for ages. Well, and, talk to uh, me about that a little bit, Ian, because I know there's a. It's funny, like I follow Fly BC for years, but I was one of those guys that just read, never posted. Um, I'm a little different with some of the newer apps for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why, but you know, like speak to me a little bit about what that means to you. Cause I'll give you, a, I'll throw a couple names at you. Somebody like Randy Pascal. Speaks, oh, he's speaks, a fabulous guy. He speaks super highly of you. And he's like, man, I, and Randy, Randy's a really good fisherman. Yeah. And his wife is a, either she's luckier and she's, she's a better fly tire than him. <laughs> um, well, here we go. We're stirring the pot in the Pascal. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, he, he, and he knows that himself, yeah. you know, and he, and, and I've known Randy for ages. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't say I was instrumental, but prior to Fly BC, there was Fish BC. Yep. And uh, I was at a at a, a fishing show, or one of those, you know, in Abbotsford when they had those shows on about boats and fishing and all sorts of stuff. So I was at one of these shows and I think I was tying flies or something like that. And these two guys came up and approached me and said, will you write for, we, we, we have an idea for the internet. And I said, well, what's that? And he says, well, we want to have a, a, you know, a column and, uh, and on the internet about, you know, fishing and, and uh, would you write a column for us? And I thought for a little bit, I said, sure, I will, you know? So I wrote a bunch of the old uh, columns about fishing around BC. And, and then they had, uh, uh, then they had a storage and I had 25,000, 25,000 photographs stored in their storage. And they lasted for a number of years, and then I guess the owner he didn't couldn't back up certain things, and you know it it petered out. Uh, and so they shifted it over to Fly BC, and uh, and Shaggy and and Hoof, uh, John and, and yeah, super 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 nice people. Yeah, they, and yeah. excellent um, administrators. So they didn't, you know, they they kept the the shit from flying around because there's some guys in there that they're they well they they just rub shoulders the wrong way yeah, you know yeah uh so but they kept all that uh out of the out of it and then they're um i guess the owner or whatever you know he he, he knows how he knows about internet and forums and and uh you know connections and stuff like like they can't uh they can't post you can't post videos on their, on their forum, unless you have have a, a video of you. If you had a video off YouTube, yeah. uh, or if you got it on um, uh, Imgur, M G I M G U R, if you you could you, you can post it like that. But 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't. And you and if you have a picture, you can only post if you got it on their their, their forum or something, and in smaller pieces and so. Yeah. What but, what is it about that group? Because I know you're you're active on that. Um, it just it, it obviously means a lot to you. Um, you know. Well, it in does, touch. and and because a lot of the guys that uh, we used to have fish outings. Yeah. Yeah. And you so you know, and they were a. a I mean, an eclectic, broad bunch of guys that were really good people. Yeah. And they have their, you know, I watched their families grow up. Sure. Um, and, you know, and, and the kids' interests. And and my experience is that all the people who have had families that I watched grow up, and, and that's part, and that's another one of my little side things. I'm a real believer in, in family life good family life, good parenting. Mm-hmm. And the parents would take the boys or take the girls or, um, and have mix, you know, they'd come on, on these outings. So everybody would sit around the campfires and we'd tell stories and, uh, you know, Randy met his, his first, his wife. That's yeah. where he met her. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I was, I knew that. So, um, she was one of three different girls that were pretty girls that were at the time. Um, uh, I was older, you know, so I kind of, but, uh, they, they were just a really nice bunch yeah. of people and still are. Yeah. I actually see Shaggy on occasion uh, going to shop here in Summerland and <laughs> give him a hard time. But, uh, the groups, and there's so many great, um, fly fishing groups on, on, on the internet now on, on whether it's Facebook or, or Instagram, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So I well, mean, yeah, the only thing with it, well, like I say, with, with Facebook, Facebook is good, yep. um, in many ways, but it's, it's negative in other ways. Um, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I mean, uh, me, because I, I call a spade a spade and, and I say things that's, because I'm thinking, I'm just talking like I'm talking to you and I'll say something that, uh, goes against their policy. Yeah. It's easily done. Uh, it's just a super nice bunch of guys, yeah. people, and they had these fish outings. And then the family groups to me, if you take, if you spend a lot of time with your kids, um, and do things with your children, uh, it's been my experience that the kids turned into adults. I mean, they may be kids at first, but when I see them all of a sudden become adults and all of a sudden this one's going to university and that one's, they seem to have a, a solid grasp of life. Yeah. No, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. So, so if you look in at why you spend all this time chasing steelhead, you know, in, in your past, why you spend time at the fly tying bench, why you chase fins all over the yeah. basically the planet. What is, what does it do for you? What does it bring into your world? Uh, well, you know, I, it, again, it, it just, uh, more knowledge. The biggest thing of, of me is, is everything about me is learning more knowledge about things that I, I'm curious about and I'm curious about everything. I, you know, I, yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I, I'm just curious about why one fly works better than another. Why, um, 
why does a brown trout hang around with a with a you know a steelhead? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's those anomalies that um, I question. I, I sort of think God, that doesn't. And I've like I've got a, a motorbike riding buddy, and you know he his sole interest basically he does like other things. He's married, but he and I are different in many, 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 many ways. But we have this one love of riding motorbikes, and he's a better on a bike than I am. So, but I learn from him because he tells me, you know, lean this for and that for, and so so. It's always a learning experience, and that was what fishing was about with me. Yeah. It was a learning experience. Yeah, that's well verbalized. I think uh, I think a lot of fly fishers share that. And um, something we talk about a lot on on this show is is the attention to the details, like the things that you may not notice if you weren't fly fishing, like those insects on that rock or those stone, um, stone well, flies. Okay, where where do we start again? You go back to, uh, in some cases, I'm saying, you know, you're trying to imitate things, so you're trying to, there's the guys that, well, I call them the lumpers and the splitters. Um, the splitters are the kind of guys that, that they've got to have a 10 rod and you've got to have a, the, the Zek style, you know, the Czechoslovakian style or European style, you know, fly fishing. And then there's the roll cast and there's a spade yeah. cast and, the, and this cast and that cast. And, and I think it's just fishing. <laughs> it's just fishing. A good angler uses them all. Uh, and there is the times when the, the super detailed pattern does outfish um, other patterns. Yeah. And then there's times when the strangest looking creature thing catches more fish. And you think, why did that happen? I mean, and again, okay, tell the story. You know, one of the, our buddies were saying, and he was a good fly tire, but he did, he was not much of a fisherman. He could make, he liked to tie flies and he liked to make all these, you know, marry the, you know, the, the feathers together. And so, and he was going to go out fishing with these guys up at one of the interior lakes. Could have been, uh, doesn't matter which lake, but he, so we said, so, well, the guys are saying, well, chronomets, you know, it's chronomets right now. It's, you know, it, that's all the fish are feeding on is chronomets. So he ties up this chronomet. The only thing is he was using a book that had lovely pictures of what chronomets look like, you know, in the, in the tie. So his chronomets were on about a size four hook. <laughs> perfect That's like... and he's out there fishing and they're fishing and they're getting the odd fish and he's just honking them in he's just honking them in you know one after the other sounds like and they finally tunk-wa. come in like at lunch <laughs> what the fuck are you using he's, well, I'm using a chronomet same as you guys same as uh, you know page 28 <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, except he tied it to the same size of the picture. Yep. <laughs> That's beautiful. So you, you know, I had, uh, uh, and I've had the similar thing happen to me. Uh, we were fishing chronomids and doing something. And um, a kid 
and his father, who I had taught to tie flies just, you know, a few days before. This is up at, at McLeese Lake. And we're fishing up at the McLeese Lake. And, and um, this kid's out. We were, we were taking shipped about. And this kid starts to go out with his, I guess it's with his dad or something. And my son and I are, well, we're catching the odd fish. But this is kid is just catching them one after the friggin' other. And we finally, well, what are you using? Well, I'm using that one that, uh, that you know, one that you told me about, that you showed me how to tie. So we go in at supper time, and I grab his rod, and I look at it, and it's a woolly worm. Yeah. But it's it got grizzly, and it's got, uh, um, you know, some orange. Well, that was it. He had orange. He had tied an orange. He didn't have anything else, so he tied an orange body with this grizzly hackle. Huh. It didn't look like anything that there was, you know, like what the fish were feeding on. But he was catching trout after trout. I mean, I tied at that, you know, at that point, I grabbed my fly tying kit, and I tied enough for everybody else. And then when we went out in the evening, we all got a fish, but huh. it, uh, or all, all, all did really well, but it was just, it, it's those funny little things that happen to you when you're fishing that make it for me. Yeah, I agree. They I, make it. I, I want you to, now you are the perfect person, Ian, to ask this question. So as, as somebody that uh, enjoys working with watercolor, I want you to paint us a picture. So paint paint a picture of your perfect day. Like, are you chasing steelies on on on, on an island river? What are you having to drink? What is you know? What are you well, cooking at the end of the day? Walk us through that a little bit. If I am, first of all, um, I I'm I like um, well. I've taken a lot of underwater footage of fish underwater. When I did, when they were first, when the cameras were, I well, not only just just the regular cameras, but I actually made a framework for um, that I could put my Nikon camera. You know, wasn't waterproof, and then I had a little window. I made this little little case that I could push underwater. Then, when I had the fish on, and you know, I was taking pictures of the fish from different angles. Um, I also had a, I have a little, won't say it's in, it's not even an aquarium. It's a little, uh, glass box. It's all been, you know, uh, put together. And if I would catch a fish, I would bring it, put it in the water and I'd put it in that container. And then I would photograph the fish from, um, from the, you know, what the fish looks like underneath. Hmm. Then I had uh, video cameras that I had fish jumping and flashing, and they were just the, the twisting shapes that fish would get into. Uh, they weren't very sharp, but I had a lot of pictures of, you know, uh, fish twisting on a hook or twisting on a, right. on a gaff or something like that. And I had all these pictures then I used them as models to duplicate um, what a fish looks like when he's bent, he's twitched, he's sitting under the water, 
and I had sold a lot of paintings of just, let's say, a brown throat, uh, cutthroat, underwater, in the natural, you know, with the lighting kind of dappling their, their back and the rocks. And so uh, I sold a bunch of those pictures. Huh. So that was that was my, you know, first is is trying to get what the underwater shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I photograph the uh, caddis cases and stonefly, actual stoneflies and caddis underwater, and how they would mix. You know, I've got videos of I'd take videos with my video camera uh, of this. You know, I'd catch all these god. Um, well, salmon fry, but I'd catch uh, stoneflies and caddisflies and mayflies and yeah. and see what they acted like um, underwater. How much did that help your your tying? A lot. Yeah. Well, it 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 wasn't so much. It started to make me tie abstract, more abstract flies, yeah. rather than super realistic. Yeah. Because I started to see, like mayflies, um, wiggle. Oh, they, yeah. You know, they really wiggle and twist and turn like like a woolly bugger does. You put marabou underwater. Yeah. That's why a woolly bugger is probably the most, probably the best pattern that was ever designed. Yeah. So so lifelike in the water with that marabou. Well, yeah. yeah. It starts to move, and that's why, like I say, my Omicas marauder. Yeah. Um, that's, it looks alive. It looks underwater. It looks like something alive. Yeah, for sure. And fish don't have hands. You know, they 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 got their mouth. They got to go yeah. and test it. Yeah. And they'll count it, like I say, for about three seconds. They'll hold on to something and then spit it out if it's not what they want. Hmm. That's why the guys, you know, what they would... Uh, um, they have those single egg patterns. Yeah. You know, and then they have the, they don't have a, they just got it on the line. And then they got about six inches from that, they got a hook because the fish would grab the the egg and they hold it for about three seconds. And of course, a float would go down and the guy would set the hook. And so the hook always basically foul hooked the fish on the outside of the cheek, but right in the corner of the mouth. Hmm. You hook a fish in the corner of the mouth, you've got a way better chance of landing it than you do of the one that's hooked in the nose. Yeah. yeah. It's funny when I'm fishing chronomids, it's almost always right in the nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they're just, you know, I mean, they come up and they just, you know, you see come trout and then, you know, um, Charlie White was one of the first to do salmon coming up behind lures. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching those videos a long time ago. And they'd come up behind one, and they'd they'd take a sort of a pass at it, and then swing away, and then they come up behind it again. And um, well, I did the same thing. Hmm. I was sending down my cameras, you know, to take pictures of uh, underwater. Uh, I I I got so many stories. That would I would find that disheartening, Ian. I tell you, because I always think, okay, so if you're lucky enough, let's say you're, however you're fishing, you're fishing, say you're fishing for trout, but, you know, how many times does that pattern pass a fish and they don't take a pass at it? I think that would drive me nuts. Well, I'll tell you something else. You know, spinners, spinners and jigs, but spinners are probably the most 
effective lure that was ever designed. And when I was guiding at Painters, I used to make these really nice, uh, beautifully, uh, well, I had a number only, a number like a trout hook, tail on the trout hook on the back, and it would just stick up. And then I'd tie these beautiful um, minnow patterns, and I'd tie it with different colors, with polar bear, you know, actual polar bear, yep. you know, some pink, some blue, some green, some uh, variety of colors. And then uh, we'd have a, a little thumbnail spinner, uh, maybe, well, be about a, not even a thumbnail, about the size of, you know, you know um, your middle finger. Yeah, like the little Colorado blades or whatever. And, and we would put it on a, on a clevis that was folded, not one that was, you know, like a hole because that would cut your, we'd put it, actually put it on the leader. Okay. Above, and we'd use a fairly heavy leader. And then we'd throw it, you know, fairly fast behind the boat. Mm-hmm. And I was always a number one coho catcher, even though I was a brand new guide out of at Painter's Lodge about 1957, 58. Huh. Because I had these flies that I tied. And I understood that early in the year, the sand, the coho, are, um, they feed more on uh, plankton and, and shrimp. Okay. And then later on in the summer, they would start taking the, the herring. But early in the summer, like in June and July, they were taking a lot of the pink. So you could put, and then later on, and it was more blues and blue-greens. Right. And I'd put two rods out, and I'd put a spinner on the one that, you know, really wasn't the one that they were liking. I'd just say I put on the on, on the blue-green one when it was in June, and, and then I'd have a red, you know. Well, all the coho would come right up behind the fly, because it's right up, you know, within, would put a little weight, just enough to keep it under the surface. But we were moving pretty fast, you know, with a with a troll. Yeah, and and the the coho would come up behind the one with a spinner on it, and it would just kind of hover behind it like they did on those old Charlie White, you know, videos. And then it would shift over and grab the one that huh. the color that they liked. Yeah. So that taught me a lot about what color that and coho it can be funny about that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we would go into, um, and then I was thinking, gee, you know, if I can, I can catch them if I cast these flies. And so we would, I'd be up of the top end of Quadra Island and, um, or the bottom end, I should Quadra Island, I should say. And, and I go right into the big, huge kelp beds and that's where all the coho were in there and the, even the Chinook be in there feeding on the small herring. Hmm. I mean, in those days of, of herring, I mean, well, there was, we, well, uh, I forget the, what the hell was his name. Oh, God, doesn't matter. Um, he brought, he used to bring, bring uh, these handmade wooden, uh, um, like, a, like a Lucky Louie type plugs. Yeah. Like a lineman? And they were short, or... and they were wooden. Yeah, yeah. And he'd give them to the guides to try. And we'd lower those down at a certain level. And that was before, you know, downriggers. Well, the downriggers today is, is everything. 
But in those days, we just put more weight on to get down to the, and, and, um, and sometimes the herring, herring was so thick, so thick there. You, you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, a sounder would just blot right out because it, (laughs) and not only that, but the herring, we were catching herring that were 12 inches long. Is that right? That's a big herring. Yes. We, well, that's all gone. Were those like those uh, Max squids? That was the kind of lure I was trying to think of. Those yep. big plugs. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Huh. And I my know. buddy right now, he's, well, I think they just allowed, just the other day, my my friend Brad Hay, who's a really good salmon fisherman, you mm-hmm. know, and he's got a, Lucille is his, he's got a 17-foot boat that fishes like a hot dam. It might be about 18 feet, but uh, huh. it really fishes well, and and. He just goes out. I mean, he catch and releases and catch and releases. And just the other day, they were, you know, he's taking some friends out and they caught fish. But in you might have already alluded to this, but um, one of the last questions I like to ask is: Is there anything that kind of irks you about the state of fly fishing these days? Is there anything that kind of, you know, we could be doing better as a group in your mind? You know, actually, not. Um. I think for the most part, we've got a lot of uh, educators, like guys who have been out there. There, There's always a few that want everything for themselves. But there's a lot of people that, uh, guys like Brennan Baker, who they're almost like guides. And they're willing to share. Now, there's a few of those. There was a few times... uh, Oh God, I'm trying to remember how far back when they had um, those fishing contests. Like you're talking like Bassmaster stuff? Are you talking? No, like... no, no, no. It was it was it was all trout. Okay. It was uh, you know um, like derbies, derbies. And and uh, you know it was they had brought it and they brought these uh, really almost pro uh, British. Breeze did quite well, but and and some of the Americans who come up and oh, some of the guys yeah, yeah. like the fly fishing championships that type type of stuff. Yeah, those those contests. Yeah, yeah. And I entered in a couple of them, and then um, then I got a little jaded about guys who were trying to keep this secret and that. And I thought, you know, I was I, I'm just that way. I'd rather God if I'm catching fish, I want everybody else to catch fish too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think there are more more guys today that are willing to share. Yeah. I, I really do. I agree. I agree. And that's it's funny because you you know I ask that question a lot of times, and there's been the odd person that says, "No, you know what? I think we're in a pretty good space." I mean, there's always things that we can do better. There's always going to be individuals and groups that kind of take things down a a dark path, or maybe there's ego involved, but. I think you well, know, lots of guys have got that, and that's what I noticed in those contests. There was guys who had right, and you, pretty big egos. Well, in your part, you know, I guess on some level, if you're sharing that knowledge all the time, you might be hurting yourself. But I have had a lot of competitive guys on the show um, from all over the planet, and they tell me that that has changed a bit. And a lot, of, I, I'm sure there's some still like that, but there's a lot of sharing of knowledge, and that's that's how we get better, right? That's how we up yep. our game. So. It, uh, you, you, you start, like I say, maybe it was just, um, my nature 
uh, maybe it's the artistic part of me. Yeah. Uh, that I look, I look for things that are, are different or, uh, or, are clues, you know, yeah. the old clue game, you know, I look for clues all the time. It doesn't it. matter what I do. Yeah. Well, uh, riding a motorbike, whether I'm fishing, whether I'm eating, like I had a couple of falls recently and I think something's not right with my body right now. Hmm. And, um, and I haven't had any strength. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you're talking to a guy that used to climb mountains and, you know, pack sheep off mountains and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, if I just try and cut the lawn, I make two or three passes with it and I got to go sit down and I'm thinking something's not right. Hmm. Am I, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I can read the obituary column as good as anybody, but my body should be stronger. Hmm. It should be. Um, well, your mind seems pretty damn strong. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my head is, you know. And, and yeah. but I, what I do, I analyze. Yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, a, uh, you're a thinker. Uh, I had. I'll tell you another million. You know, story. I was on the um, Montana, and we were fishing the the uh, uh, one of the beautiful, you know, island streams. You know, I mean, um, uh, what the hell is the name of that famous stream? Anyway, on in the Montana. Oh, in, oh no, uh, no, in, oh, in, in Madison, Montana. Madison Bighorn, and. Um, so we're, and we're, we're in this little town and, you know, like there's three of the, 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 uh, build, businesses are fly fishing shops and, you know, and so I waited out and the, the tricorothodes, the little tiny mayfly that's about yep. size 22, 24, um, and you know, and I had all these little tiny little flies and, and they, the trichos start to hatch in, uh, oh, 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So I waited out there and I, and I spot this fish and I'm casting away and casting away and I'm not catching fuck all. And after I've been in there for about an hour, this guy arrives, he puts his gear on and he, sits there and looks for a while, and then he wades out. Then he very slowly, slowly, slowly moves into position. He spotted a trout that was rising regularly, and he waited for that fish to get into a rhythm of feeding. And then he made this cast and another cast and another cast. But he wasn't casting more than four feet of fly line and the rest was 18 feet or 12 feet a liter. And he was dropping his fly. He had seen this fish come up to the surface. And of course, you know, the, the window, you know, the fish's window. Yeah. You know, they're that, it, you know, it goes that bent, you know, and when they come up to the surface, when they're down at the bottom, they can see people, you know, around, but when they come to the surface, they can, they can only see a few inches. So if you move slowly, you don't disturb them. You're right there. And uh, this guy, after, you know, he, he hooks this nice fish and lands it. And then he kind of stands around and watch spots another fish and kind of very slowly moves. He caught about four or five trout. And I did still, I, I'd been there before him and I left after. 
And I said, what the hell have you done? A different fly or something? No, no. He says, I just use a, it was about a size 18 um, uh, Griffiths Nat. Okay. Which is just a, a peacock yeah. body with a, with a grizzly hackle. Sure. And he says, these fish are feeding on clumps of mayflies. And they get into a rhythm. And the, the mayflies are coming down in huge numbers, just huge numbers. They don't have to swim around chasing. They just sit there, come up, take two or three flies, go back down, come up, take two or three flies, go back down. And he says, I just keep dropping my my fly over top of the, until he's actually, it's just in a rhythm. And it's just, he's just coming up and there's the fly sitting there and he takes it. Yeah, make, thought, makes sense. You know, I and it's that. I mean, reason. I mean, I'm off. You know, course as far as talking about fishing, but this is those one of the things that stuck to me. Yeah, he's a, he's playing the patient game, and he's got a system. And I and I, well, another time when I was with my, um, oh, you know, there was a big stonefly hatch on the stalacle. And it would be June, July, just, you know, early in the season. And this big trout was coming up regularly and taking, you know, and, and two or three guys tried for him and didn't get him, didn't get him, didn't get him. And I kind of waited in a position above him. I'm looking at this fish and I'm realizing he's only taking the live stoneflies that are fluttering. He's not taking the ones that are drifting in the surface. He's only taken the one that are fluttering. Hmm. That's weird. So I'm thinking, okay. So I put on a long, fine leader, about a 5X leader, 6X leader. And I had a, a mayfly pattern that had these big, uh, you know, one I super realistic mayfly but uh with a but really these stiff wings and the problem with that looked beautiful you know you could put it but if, if it 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 twisted the leader so i just stood there casting this mayfly big mayfly that twisted the leader and i just kept casting casting until i figured well the leaders twisted up pretty good then I flick the fly onto the surface of the water. And then as soon as the current caught it, I just slightly pulled back on the the leader. And this fly just jumped off the surface because it was the twisted leader. As soon as it did that, the fish came up and bang, he nailed it. <laughs> That's awesome, like in the air. Well, no, I was right on the surface, oh, but it yeah. was just... It was just, just flipping, you know, yeah. but it could have been in the air, but, you know. Yeah, so, so he, I get it. He's taking them as they're emerging, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So all these things, you know, well, hey, another was another story in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, a little side slough. There was a big prown trout cruising around, and that's just a shallow slough, a side slough off the, and my uh, uh, friend, you know, he, it, this thing, there was... Um, Dragonflies and damselflies flying around. <laughs> so they're, and this brown trout would not take 
anything that was floating on the surface. He would only jump up into the air and grab one of the ones that were flying. Don't <laughs> ask me why. I've seen video like that. That's wild. I mean, he could have taken all sorts right off the surface. Yeah. But he had to jump up in the air and take one. So I told my friend, I said, look, let's tie our leaders together. I got this fly that looks identical to what things. And he said, what are we doing? I says, now you go wait, you know, go around to the other side of the lake or, you know, we're because it was a narrow little slough. And then we tight lined and that, and the fly was hanging about two feet over the surface. And then we waited for the brown trout to circle around and come back through. And as soon as he got fairly close, we started to pull back and forth on our lines. And this fly of mine was bouncing up and down just off the surface. The fish came underneath it, waited, and then jumped up in the air and grabbed it. (laughs) We almost fell off the bank laughing. That is so wild. So, I mean, uh, do I need to tell you any more stories? I mean, (laughs) that, and that, and that's from, that's from, Observing. Yeah. Observing nature. I love it. Well, listen, I'm so grateful that you took the time out to chat with us. Um, and, you know, keep oh, doing what... I hope what... you can use some of it. I'm using all of it. I, uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been a pleasure to chat with you, Ian. I'm hoping we can do this again at some point. Maybe we can dial it in on whether it's Steelhead or we can go down... I, I We can go down any rabbit hole you want, but... Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, sure have enjoyed reading your writing over the years. And uh, I, I look forward to having a peek at some of your artwork. And uh, thank you, my friend, for taking the time. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.